1: A religion famous for the celebrities that are involved. But what is going on behind the scenes? Follow me down the rabbit hole about Scientology. <laughs> and welcome back to the rabbit hole. I'm your host Danny and today we are talking about Scientology. I know I just did like a two-part episode for Antarctica. I'm now doing another two-part episode for Scientology just because I started to get into the history of the creator of Scientology and I literally I there's there's so much history and so much stuff that goes on and I think it's really important to understand his background and his history in order to understand the conspiracies that go on and all the things that go on in Scientology. So this episode, I don't even think I'm going to even get to the conspiracy theories today. I think I'm just going to explain his background, his history. It's crazy. You cannot make this stuff up, which is why I decided to do two parts because this is going to be a lot. So first things first, I want to go ahead and thank Caitlin who requested this episode as well as Jeff. Thank you guys um, for requesting this and if you guys have sent in requests i've gotten so many requests lately i am working through them so you're gonna hear just a bunch of every basically every episode from here until probably the end of the year is just requests that i've received from you guys because you know like i i want to i want to give episodes that you want to listen to so keep an eye out for your an ear out excuse me for your episode When it comes, I will give you a shout-out, as I do with everyone. So thank you all for sending so many requests. If you don't hear yours for a while, it might have got lost in my DMs, and please go ahead and DM me again. But I have a list, and I'm working through it. So thank you all so much. So we're going to start with, like, what is Scientology, right? For this information, I went straight to the source, right? To the Scientology website. So according to the official website, Scientology, quote-unquote, is a religion that offers a precise path leading to a complete and certain understanding of one's true spiritual nature and one's relationship to family or self-family groups, mankind, all life forms, the material material universe, the spiritual universe, and the supreme being, end quote. So Scientology is said to address the spirit, not just the body and the mind, and they believe... In the fundamental truths, some of which, again, I got right off the website, um, include man is an immortal spiritual being, his experience extends well beyond a single lifetime, and his capabilities are unlimited, even if not presently realized. So different from other religions, Scientology says that spiritual salvation depends upon the man himself, his his fellows, and his attainment of brotherhood with the universe. Furthermore, they don't expect you to believe anything based on faith alone. So they're like really trying to reach into like the person and the spirit. It gets really kind of like psychological, even though you'll learn that Hubbard, who is the founder, hate, eventually hates psychology and all of that. But it's very psychological, very like a lot of mind work for sure. But without further ado, let's get into the founder, Lafayette Ron Hubbard. He was born on March thirteenth, nineteen eleven, in Tilden, Nebraska. His mom was a teacher, and his dad was a naval officer. So they moved around a bit, you know, cause military. Um, and then they they eventually settled in Helena, Montana, in nineteen thirteen. So a couple years after he was born, but. His father rejoined the military, the Navy, in 1917 during World War I. Probably because of World War I, you know, it's like a sense of duty. So that's kind of like what his his childhood was. Hubbard was kicked out of high school, or one of the high schools that he went to, uh, because of failing grades. And he failed the Naval Academy entrance exam and was supposed to take it again. But was diagnosed with myopia, or nearsightedness, which stopped him from ever enrolling in the naval academy. I mean he didn't he didn't want to go to the navy like this wasn't really his plan. So, and later he would write in a journal that he actually lied about the nearsightedness to get out of the navy. He went to George Washington University in Washington DC but did poorly. Uh, of course, because he he failed out of like three high schools I think before he went to George Washington University in Washington DC. Um, and again, was at risk of being kicked out due to his bad grades, but he attended the university for two years before he eventually dropped out. So they didn't kick him out due to the bad grades, but he did drop out. He spent most of the 1920s and thirties in Washington, DC, where he interacted with several psychiatrists. This remember this part, because this is, it blows my mind later on. He had encounters with Navy psychiatrist, Joseph Thompson, And the supervisor of the D.C. Psychiatric Hospital St. Elizabeth's, William Allenson White. And he would later claim that he trained under both of them. So he seemed to have, like, a decent relationship with these guys. Like, he wanted, he was very interested in the field, he trained under both of these guys, and then later on he basically hates psychiatry and the whole um, institution. So we'll get there. In 1933 Hubbard renewed a relationship with an old friend and quickly married her and they had two kids together but seemed to be struggling for money which will be just like a theme in his whole whole life. So Hubbard began a writing career and tried to write for mainstream publications. He soon realized that his niche was Pulp Fiction Magazine's. And he actually – he became, like, pretty a pretty pro- prolific writer in that medium because that's just, like, what he was good at. He was good at science fiction. Between the 1934 and 1940, he wrote hundreds of short stories that were mostly science fiction, publishing his full-length novel in 1937 called Buckskin Brigades. And throughout his life, he just published writing after writing after writing after writing. It was, like, his thing. He just kept, like, publishing – Writings. He found great success under editor John W. Campbell, who published many of his short stories in his magazines. He had two magazines called Unknown and Astounding Science Fiction. In the magazine Unknown, Hubbard's psychological thriller titled Fear became a huge hit, getting him recognition from some pretty big names, actually. In 1941, Hubbard joined the Navy Reserves as an O2 or Lieutenant Junior grade as an intelligence officer which blows my freaking mind because like dude's not intelligent so how did he become an intelligence officer but his naval career was rough he was supposed to go to the philippines right after pearl harbor uh by way of australia but he was sent home after sending a blockade runner out of her way by like 3000 miles and they're like mm, maybe we won't send you to the philippines so they sent him home and then he became a commander of a patrol boat in the boston navy yard and was relieved when the yard commander said he was, quote-unquote, not temperamentally fitted for independent command. Which he was, like, grateful to not be in command anymore. But then he was, a, he was given command of a submarine chaser. And this is, like, I don't understand. Five hours into a shakedown cruise, like one of the first ones that he did, they thought they had found an enemy sub and engaged in combat for 68 hours hours only to find out they had mistaken a known magnetic deep deposit for an enemy sub so like they were getting these like readings that something was there but the navy had already known about that that there was like a magnetic deposit under there so it wasn't a submarine 68 hours and how lord knows how much money they spent trying to kill the submarine (laughs) And then, just a month after that, he fired upon this, like, this island, which was a Mexican island, and Mexico was our ally, or is our ally at the time. And so, they, that, they relieved him of command after that. So, so silly. After he was relieved of that command, so this is the second command he's been relieved of, he started to complain of, like, a variety of ailments, to include, like, ulcers, malaria, back pain, all kinds of things. He was admitted to the San Diego Naval Hospital for observation, but he remained there for three months. Later, he wrote in, like, a diary that he used the stomach issues as a way to get out of the Navy, like, get out of the Navy's punishment for him. So this is the second time now he has faked something, like, an ailment to not get the repercussions of the Navy. He didn't want to go to the Navy initially. Then he did join the Navy. And now he's like, well, I don't want to get in trouble for the things that I did because I was stupid. So let me just pretend like I'm really sick. And eventually, I mean, he got away with it. After war, Hubbard chose to stay in California instead of returning home to his family in Washington state. So at the time, his wife and his two kids with her were had lived in Washington state this whole time near one of his aunts because they were having money issues before he joined the military before world war II, So they moved close to a family so they could have like support. Well, his family and his two kids are still, or his wife and his two kids are still up there with that family member of his, but he stays in Washington or in California, excuse me. And he moved into this mansion of John Jack Whiteside Parsons, who was a rocket propulsion engineer and a leading follower of the English occultist Alistair Crowley. And he'll come back around like a lot of times. This seemed to be kind of like the the turning point for Hubbard. Because I think the Aleister Crowley, like the occultist of that, it really it changed a lot in his brain. I think he started to realize some things there. So Hubbard and Parsons. Remember Jack Parsons is the owner of this mansion. He's a he's a big player as well. So for this moment. He became. like They became friends. They started collaborating on Babylon working. Which was a sex magic ritual. Intended to summon. An incarnation of Babylon. Who was a supreme goddess. In Crowley's pantheon. So. He's, like, really getting into this, like, Aleister Crowley thing, right, with Parsons, who was already a follower. During this time, he created a document which has been called the Affirmations. And this seems to be a series of statements relating to various physical, sexual, psychological, social issues that he was encountering in his life. It also seems like these affirmations were intended to be, like, a form of self-hypnosis, trying to instill, like, positive mental attitude, which is a lot like what we use affirmations for today, right? So, we have these affirmations that we would tell ourselves to try to, like, boost our self-esteem, to make ourselves, like, feel good and believe good things about ourselves. So, he was just, like, before his time, because this is still, like, late 40s. Parsons Hubbard... And Parsons' girlfriend, Sarah Northrup, who was also sleeping with Hubbard at the time, invested their save, like their like life savings, in a plan for Hubbard and Sarah to buy yachts on the East Coast and then sail them to the West Coast and sell them. So I'm not sure, like, if yachts were just worth a lot more on the West Coast or what was going on, but Hubbard, who Actually, he had put in almost no money because he didn't have any money. Parsons and Sarah put in most of the money. He used this as as an opportunity to just, like, run away with the money. And Hubbard, I mean, he got away with it, basically. So Parsons had to sell his mansion just to, like, try to stay, like, afloat, try to keep his life together. But then Hubbard took it one step forward and married Sarah. So Sarah had been Parsons girlfriend since the time that Hubbard moved into Parsons mansion, sleeping with Hubbard this whole time while she's living with Parsons. And then after they'd run away with all of his money, the two get married. But the thing is Hubbard did not divorce his first wife. So he's still got a wife and two kids up in Washington state. Now he's married to another, to a whole new lady and they have a kid together eventually too. And with all that, Hubbard went back to writing because he's out of the Navy now. He, you know, stole this guy's money. And now he just like went back to his writing. So from 1947 to 1950, he had a number of stories in the magazine Astounding Science Fiction. But he was still struggling with money. So he wrote to the VA to increase his war pension. And eventually they did increase his pension. So he had this war pension for the rest of his life that he got it increased because he needed more money. In May of 1950, Hubbard's famous writing, Dianetics, the Modern Science of Mental Health, came out. And this is where, I don't know, the the cult-like aspect of his life started. Because he had been following Aleister Crowley with Parsons for a while. And now he's like, maybe I could do something like that. In this work, he claimed that most illnesses were psychosomatic and that Dianetic therapy would cure most illnesses. The book was not received well in the press or scientific and medical communities. Imagine that, but it had like this cult like commercial following people loved it. They were like, Oh my gosh, if we could only cure ourselves with no medicine, no basically doctor intervention, which is what he was selling. So 500 Dianetic auditing groups were set up across America and the Hubbard Dianetic Research Foundation was established. At the foundation, financial control was super lax and randomly Hubbard would just like take large sums of money with no explanation, which will be a theme for the rest of his life that like all these foundations and things that he sets up, he just like takes money whenever he wants to. It's like the Hubbard, the Ron Hubbard show um, as quickly as the book gained popularity, it completely lost it. So, on August 10th of the same year, Hubbard was putting on a presentation about the results, and it went horribly wrong. Like, he brought on this lady on stage and explained to the crowd that she had perfect recall, that she could remember everything. So, he, you know, covered up his tie, and he was like, what color is my tie? And she said the wrong color, which, if his teachings are actually working, if this, if everything that he's saying is working... And, and she has perfect recall, then she should know the color of his tie. So that was quite the fail. On September 3rd, so just like a little less than a month later, psychologist Eric Fromm describes Dianetics as a, quote, mixture of some oversimplified truths, half-truths, and plain absurdities. This actually caused quite the downfall of the book. And because it came from a psychologist, it started, like, Hubbard felt personally attacked about it. But, I mean, basically, nobody in the science and medical communities were believing it anyway. But he, like, took this as a personal attack against him. By late 1950, the foundation was basically in a financial crisis. Many of the people that supported Hubbard and worked for the foundation had resigned. So these are people that, like, had helped him come up. So his editor from earlier, all these different people, this doctor, like, These really important people to the cause were like, yeah, we're, we're done. We're going to go now. Also during this time, Hubbard started having an affair with an employee. So, okay. If you're keeping up, if you're counting, he has a wife and two kids in Washington state. His wife, Sarah, and their kid are with him. And now he's got this new love interest. Hubbard's affair actually caused Sarah to start her own affair Because she was like, well, screw you. If you can do it, I can do it, right? So then, on February 23rd of 1951, Sarah and her lover, whoever he was, consulted a psychiatrist about Hubbard. I'm not sure what prompted them to do this, but the doctor told Sarah that she was in grave danger and that Hubbard should be committed. Which, honestly, could have saved a lot of people a lot of money. But, anyway neither here nor there. He was not committed because Hubbard found out about this and he kidnapped their one-year-old daughter and Sarah. He attempted to find a doctor that would find Sarah insane, but he couldn't. So he let Sarah go and he took their daughter and he left to Cuba. The more I learned about his history, the more I was like, what is this guy doing? And we haven't even gotten into the Scientology part of it yet. So He called the FBI and reported that Sarah and her lover were communist infiltrators. And it seemed as though the agent took the report. Like they really believed him. They're like, yeah, okay. Yeah. We have communist infiltrators in our, in our country. So, but Sarah's claims about Hubbard went public and went to the papers. So they're like, this is like the most public husband, wife spat ever. The papers literally said, quote, Ron Hubbard insane, says his wife, end quote. And those papers got all the way back to his first wife. When she saw the papers, she reached out to Sarah offering support, saying that she believed that Sarah was telling the truth, that like she like w- she was part of this and she was under his, his influence and she understands what Sarah's saying is true. So the only way Sarah could get her daughter back from Hubbard, who was still in Cuba at the time is that she had to sign a statement written by Hubbard saying that she misrepresented him. Basically like she's, she was lying. It was all just a joke, but I mean, I would do the same for my kid. So I don't know. I would, I would do anything to get my, my child back. So I would, I would sign it. I'm sure. And she did. She signed it. She got it back. But after Dianetics failed, Hubbard created Scientology, which I don't know how one of them failed so horrifically. And the other one, I don't know how Scientology made it through. After learning all this, it doesn't make any sense to me. So he announced a new science beyond Dianetics at a conference in Wichita, Kansas. And Dianetics promised to reach like a superhuman state of clear is what they called it. Whereas Scientology promised a chance to achieve godlike powers called operating thetan and thetan is an immortal soul is what and he wrote books about this and then he would also like present it to people at conferences and at the same time he introduced a device called an electro psychometer or an e-meter which was supposed to measure your skin's changes and sweat and grip when holding these like two metal cans and he presented this E-meter as having an almost mystical power to reveal an individual's innermost thoughts. Later on, he's going to end up using this more like a lie detector machine because he honestly believes that it it literally reveals your innermost thoughts. So everything he used the E-meter for in Scientology is kind of like, I don't know. It's more like he's trying to figure out what you're thinking than like you trying to reach your spiritual wellness or whatever. And at this point Hubbard, who is no longer with Sarah and no longer with his first wife, he's got three kids between the two of them. He married a 20 year old named Mary Sue and the two of them moved to Phoenix where they opened the only official Scientology organization called the Hubbard association of Scientologists or H a S Mary Sue, just so you know, I think I forget later, but, um, She goes on to have like four kids with Hubbard. And I'm not sure if he ever actually divorces Sarah. He for sure never divorced his first wife, so they're still legally married. And now he's married Sarah, and now he's married Mary Sue. And I have no idea if he ever divorces any of them, ever. Pretty sure he's just married three times. So all the other organizations or branches or whatever of the organization were like franchises, and they are required to pay H.A.S. 10% of the income they received.
0: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
1: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Our most precious asset is our time. So many people wish they had more of it. What would you do if you had an extra hour in your day? but no matter how short you are on time, you will always find a way to fit in things that are important to you. Therapy can help you identify the most important things in your life and prioritize them. Life can get away from you and it can be hard to take back the reins. Whether you need to learn how to set boundaries, become the best version of yourself, or even break generational curses, therapy can help. The best thing about BetterHelp is that it's totally online so you can fit it into your busy schedule. We don't have an extra hour in our day. So not having to commute to therapy makes it so much more convenient. You'll be matched with a licensed therapist after filling out a brief questionnaire. And what's great is if you don't mesh well with that therapist, you can switch at any time for no additional fee. You don't have time to waste. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com rabbit today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, rabbit. In July of 1952, Hubbard published "What an Audit," which was later renamed Scientology: A History of Man, which taught that everyone had subconscious traumatic memories from past lives, as clams, sloths, and cavemen, and this caused neurosis and health problems. Which I don't know, like where did he find, like where did he figure out, like clams, sloths, and cavemen, like where did, where did the, why those things? But that's what he published. He published a lot of books about a lot of things. He just kept writing books. And even now, Scientologists refer back to most of his writings, and he wrote a lot. He must have just had a lot to say. In November of 1952, he published Scientology 8 TAC 80 or 80. And in December, he came out with Scientology 8 8008. Both of which suggested that the physical universe is a creation of the mind. So he like had the book and then he just revised it and came out with another book a month later. I don't know. Also in December, Hubbard gave it like a 70 hour series of lectures in Philadelphia where he connected rituals and the practice of Scientology to the magical practices of Aleister Crowley, which will be a theme his entire life. Alistair Crowley really had an impact on him. He also recommended Crowley's book, The Master Therian. 38 people attended the series, the whole 70 hours of it. In April of 1953, Hubbard suggested setting up, quote, spiritual guidance centers for, quote, religion, the religion angle. So he wasn't like, initially thinking about a religion but eventually he was like you know what you know what we need a religion angle religious angle because later that year in december he incorporated the church of scientology in camden new jersey he did this as a way to protect scientologists from being charged for practicing medical medicine without a license although i'm not sure what his motive like really was because just five years earlier He said, quote, writing for a penny, a word, is ridiculous. He was a writer, remember? If a man really wants to make a million dollars, the best way would be to start his own religion, end quote. So he had this kind of in his brain for a while. And honestly, it worked because in 1954, in California, the Church of Scientology was recognized by the IRS as tax exempt. But it wouldn't be until 1966 that the tax exemption was nationwide for the entire Church of Scientology. The church actually seemed to solve Hubbard's financial issues. Imagine that. It became quite profitable for him because he received a percentage of the church's income. So, and they, he, by 1957, he was being paid like $250,000 a year, which is about $2.6 million today. So that's, I mean, that's a good chunk of change, right? But Hubbard was not like nice. I don't know how I'll say it. He was known for attacking enemies and even told his followers to never defend, only attack. And encourage. he would encourage people to manufacture evidence and file lawsuits against enemies. Just like file a lawsuit. Yep. Blame it on them. Anyone who wanted to leave Scientology and create their own group was shut down and I'm sure sued. Um, and he attacked, like, all kinds of people. He, he attacked a man that had funded the Hubbard-Dianetic Research Foundation in Wichita, and it w- was actually one of the most successful charters, but because he eventually stopped supporting Dianetics, then Hubbard- went into a legal battle with him. And after that legal battle, he turned his attention to the psychiatrists that blame that he blamed for the backlash against both Dianetics and Scientology, because he basically was like, you guys are the problem. You did this to me. You made it hard for me. So now I'm going to sue all of you. But he did not stop there because in 1955, he authored brainwashing a a synthesis of the Russian textbook, on psychopolitics which like was supposed to be like the secret manual basically linking psychiatry and communism and he made it seem like it was written by a soviet secret police chief so he wrote this as like a way to say that psychology and psychiatry is it's bad and nobody should get help mental help is not for you. It's not for anybody. It's for the devil. It's for communism. Then, he founded the National Academy of American Psychology, and this sought to issue a loyalty oath to the psychiatrists and psychologists of America, basically. And if they opposed the oath, they were labeled as subversive. But if they just refused to sign the oath, then they were labeled as potentially subversive. Which, like... You can't just create a National Academy of psychology, of American Psychology and then force everybody to sign this oath. It just feels really weird. Like, they're doctors, so they should they already have an oath. Whatever. He was actively against the psychology field. Which is interesting, given his history with them, like I said earlier. But ever since his second wife, Sarah, had accused him of being a paranoid schizophrenic, he decided, psychi- like, psychiatric help was completely out he wouldn't let anyone in Scientology get help no talk therapy medications nothing like you will not get help and several people needed help in fact I read this one article of this lady who was a Scientologist and she was stabbed by her son 70 times and like she knew before she was ever stabbed that her son needed medical attention like needed mental health help but because Scientology is so against mental health help She died for it. But he continued down the path of trying to criticize our society and criticizing the medical field. In 1956, he published Fundamentals of Thought, basically saying that life is a game and it divides people into pieces, players, and game makers. And then he published All About Radiation, which claimed that radiation poisoning and cancer could be cured by vitamins. Because... They didn't try that first. And then he published, Have You Lived Before This Life?, which was a collection of past life regressions. So, again, he's just publishing books left and right. In 1958, the IRS actually withdrew the tax exemption because the Hubbard family was profiting, profiting unreasonably from it. So they were like, yeah, this is you know, supposed to be for a church, and you guys seem to be making a lot of money. As a family, which doesn't seem right. And later, his first son, who had been with Hubbard since the creation of Scientology, left due to financial hardship. This first son is the son from his first wife way back in the day. He, like, as soon as Scientology became a thing, his, his nickname was Nibs. He was basically Lafayette Ron Hubbard Jr. They called him Nibs, and he left Scientology due to financial hardship. So that tells me that he was not one of the ones profiting unreasonably from the tax exemption. I'm sure it was Hubbard, but Hubbard didn't take this well at all. He was actually deeply hurt by it. He started interrogating members of the church with e-meters and asked them questions like, have you ever practiced homosexuality? Have you ever had unkind thoughts about L. Ron Hubbard? He started using e-meters basically as lie detectors to figure out, like, what are people's real intentions towards me? Are there ill intentions towards me? Am i like very narcissistic, very narcissistic. In 1963, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration raided American offices of the Church of Scientology and seized over a hundred e-meters as illegal medical devices and thousands of pills that were being marketed as radiation cures and literature that made false medical claims. And one of the whole reasons he decided to make this a church in the first place is so they wouldn't get in trouble for illegally practicing medicine, but here they are getting in trouble for illegally practicing medicine. Later that same year in Australia, they were under investigation for brainwashing, blackmail extortion and damaging the mental health of its members. And this led to Scientology being banned in Victoria, Western and South Australia. And I- Actually, it caused a bunch of negative publicity around the world for Scientology. So after this, Hubbard buckled down on the members, requiring them to disconnect from people or organizations that were deemed suppressive and requiring members to write reports on each other, which actually all feels very jonestown jo- not Johnstown, excuse me, jonestown to me. Maybe this is where Jonestown got the idea, because... Jonestown happened maybe like a year or 10 years later, but it's feeling very Jonestown-esque for sure. Although they did not kill themselves because Scientology is still around and Jonestown was a massacre. If you don't know about Jonestown, it's actually really interesting. I don't think there's really like a conspiracy there, but if you guys are interested, I'll post a little... um, uh, poll on my Instagram if you want me to just do like a history episode about Jonestown. It's just really interesting. So if you're interested in that, I will do an episode, I don't mind, but it's not a conspiracy theory. Um so the negative press basically didn't stop. The world was like, Scientology's weird, something's wrong with it, no, we don't know if we like it. So they ban it from the UK, and Hubbard was actually deemed as an undesirable alien from the UK. So, he wasn't even allowed to go there. After that, Canada, New Zealand, and South Africa all launched investigations into Scientology. But at this point, Hubbard had purchased three three ships and founded the Sea Organization, or Sea Org, um, which was a private navy of elite Scientologists. Basically, like the top of the top got to go to Sea Org. And at this point, he also publicly relinquished management of the Church of Scientology, but his wife, Mary Sue began managing it so he didn't like leave scientology he was just like look i'm not the like the manager anymore ta-da which actually didn't do anything for him but even though he relinquished management he still got updates weekly updates and he got fifteen thousand dollars a week from the church because he's still the founder of the church his fleet was sailing from port to port in the mediterranean sea and the eastern north atlantic And he claimed that he was being pursued by enemies who would lead to global chaos or nuclear war. So that's why he had to keep moving. He wouldn't stay in one port for more than six weeks because somebody was going to cause the world to collapse if they caught him. I don't know why he's so important, but that's, that's what his thoughts were all the while conditions aboard the ships were awful. Like Hubbard, was obviously living lavishly but nobody else was so he would like have people thrown overboard and then he would film it like people that disobeyed him as one of the punishments he was like yep throw him overboard and he sometimes he would just watch sometimes he would literally just like take a video because he wanted to watch it later I don't know if it brought him pleasure to see his people suffering like that's pretty messed up He would also lock people to the bilge tanks with no access to toilets and then hardly any food. And the food they did got, like, came in buckets. And all this time, he had some members searching for evidence of his past lives, which I don't really understand why they were searching for evidence of his past life. But that's what he had going on while he was on these ships. He also created his own, like, basically like a paramilitary force and gave them... Like this R two forty five orders, and what that means is basically they are going to take these orders, and it has like a like a target on the on the orders, and they will shoot this person whoever the target is with a forty five caliber pistol. So. So he had people just like kind of going in all different directions. He's got these people that are like the military force. He's got these people that are searching for his past lives. And then all the people aboard that are being treated like crap. But then at the same time, he had the children of the Sea Org members serving him personally. And by children, I mean like mostly girls. It seemed like it wasn't any boys actually at all. And these girls would have to dress in super skimpy clothing and were required to do things like light Hubbard's cigarettes and dress him. And he would give them orders to give to the other members. So he'd be like, hey, go tell so-and-so to, like, swab the deck. And then these girls would, like, scurry off. They were, like, his personal servants, which is disgusting. And they're children. They are children. Like, young kids they're not even they're not even close to of age so that's real gross i mean but that kind of tracks because every time he got a wife she was younger and younger and younger so i don't know he's into the young girls but that i i would not put my child into that situation here we are then he he had tried to establish a like basically like a safe haven for scientology in greece but was asked by the greek officials to leave and the legitimacy of the religion like was just being questioned over and over because people were like, something it's just not adding up here, basically. And then he had tried to establish a safe haven in Morocco, but that ended poorly. Like he was trying to like establish himself with the military and the police force and all this. Um ended up he had to flee the country. And he was also at risk of extradition to France. So he left his Sea Org and moved to Queens temporarily, Queens, New York, because he was like, I'm gonna go to jail, or I'm gonna get extradited to France where I'm going to be prosecuted. But once the threat of extradition was over, he just went back to sea. They've they, were, they had been living on at sea for a while. In the summer of 1975, Hubbard suffered a major heart attack while he was on the island of Curacao in the Caribbean so after that episode he moved back to the U.S. to establish basically like a land base and he went straight to Florida I mean that makes sense because he's close to the Caribbean and that's and he I mean he kind of moved all over after that but he established like the the land base in Clearwater Florida which is still where like the headquarters of Scientology is he when he moved back to the U.S. you know he kind of spent he kind of went Kind of on the run a little bit. He moved. He was in Florida. He was in Washington, D.C. He was in California. He was kind of all over the place just trying to figure out his life. In 1976, Hubbard's son, Quentin, was found unconscious in his car with a hose connected to the tailpipe. Hubbard didn't seem to show any grief at all, nor did he care that his son tried to commit suicide. In fact, he only cared, like, what it looked like like what his public image looked like now. So he was caught yelling, quote, that stupid fucking kid. Look what he's done to me. So Hubbard like seriously didn't even care that his kid was like trying to kill himself. Just the fact that his public image was going to suffer. And Quentin did die as a result of this incident. So, and that was one of his children, I think from his third wife, Mary Sue. So one of the younger of the kids, In the 60s, Hubbard had established a branch of Scientology called Guardian's Office. And this was also around the time that like Nibs had left the organization. And so he was like trying to crack down. So this Guardian's Office, they were responsible for carrying out all of Hubbard's demands, such as infiltrating several three-letter agencies to try to like, I don't even know what they were trying to do. But he had this office just doing all kinds of things. And they had different locations all over the U.S., in 1977, the FBI actually raided several of the Guardian's office locations in LA and Washington DC, and they retrieved all kinds of things like wiretap equipment, burglary tools, and over 90,000 pages of incriminating documents. Because the Guardian office, the Guardian's office had been, they had been up to some shady, shady things. They were basically like a three-letter agency for Scientology to so like. CIA or the FBI, but like Scientology's CIA or FBI. And they were infiltrating the U S government, CIA and FBI and all these three letter agents. It was crazy, crazy. These raids actually caused Hubbard to flee yet again from California. This time he went to Nevada. So in 1979, he went further into hiding, moving back to California and he would only allow like 10 trusted messengers to be his contact to the outside world. So 10 people were allowed to come and go from his apartment, but that was it. And he didn't see his, his wife or his kids after this. Like I'm pretty sure at all until he died a year later, he went even further than that into hiding and only trusted two messengers. And they, those two people would like move around with him and go everywhere with him. But those were the only two people that were allowed to like physically have contact or like talk to him all the while Hubbard had written about Christ and about the antichrist and, like in the Antichrist who would like reign basically when Christ was not present. And his oldest son, Nibs actually said in an interview, quote, my father thought of himself as the beast, six, six, six incarnate the antichrist Alistair Crowley thought of himself as such. And when Crowley died in 1947, my father then decided he should wear the cloak of the beast and become the most powerful being in the universe. you got to realize that my father did not worship Satan. He thought he was Satan. He was one with Satan. I mean, when you think you're the most powerful being in the universe, you have no respect for anything, let alone worship End quote. So that gives you like a little bit of insight into like, the thought process of this guy. And he fully adopted everything Aleister Crowley was saying. He even told his followers to preserve his teachings because one day he would be reincarnated as a political leader instead of a religious leader. And his teachings would need to be readily available for the last two years of his life. Hubbard basically remained in hiding In 1985, the IRS notified the church that they wanted to indict Hubbard for tax fraud because he had still been receiving money from the church this whole time, but he hadn't been paying taxes on it. Imagine that. And um, later, he allegedly attempted suicide. We're not sure if he actually did or if it was just an accident, but L. Ron Hubbard had a stroke on January 17th of 1986, and he died a week later. So... That was it. He was dead. But after that, after he died, David Miskovich took over the church and just continued on with everything that Hubbard would have wanted him to do. Because you have all these like devout followers of Scientology, right? And they're like, okay, well, like now we just keep going. Although many Hollywood elites practice Scientology, the spiritual headquarters, like I said, is in Clearwater, Florida, and has been since he had that major heart attack and went to Florida to establish the land base. Sea Org is 100% still a thing in Scientology. Um, And after a long investigation, the IRS finally returned the tax-exempt status of Scientology, or of the Church of Scientology, in 1993. So they are officially like considered a church they're officially considered like tax exempt because they have been they, they got all that back in 2009 Germany joined the list of countries that does not allow Scientology you think like after Hubbard's death maybe they got a little better no nope. in France they found the church guilty of fraud because the extradition didn't ever happen for Hubbard Mm, That's not true. I think he was extradited Um, and he was sentenced to like pay a fine or whatever, but they did not ban the church altogether. Like Scientology is still allowed in France, but it's just been found guilty of fraud in 2013. The UK finally came around and is allowing Scientology as a religion. I think they started allowing it because some people wanted to get married under the Scientology religion in the UK. So they were like, okay, well, we'll just, like, it'll be fine. Like, it'll be fine. So I think that the UK chalked it up to Hubbard being the problem, whereas, I mean, none of the other countries have really let the religion back into their countries. So there's still a lot of issues, I would say. But the country that is the most lenient and allows and has, I mean, the, the biggest following of Scientology is the U.S. So that's where you're going to find most Scientologists. So that is the history of mostly of L. Ron Hubbard, which I feel like was really important that we covered it because he's crazy a little bit. I don't, I mean, I'm not any doctor. I don't know if he's actually crazy, but there's some crazy stuff that's going on and I needed to share it because his history, I think really ties into what Scientology is and how the organization is still run and all the crazy conspiracy theories that you're going to hear behind it. So next week we are going to talk conspiracy theories. We're going to talk Scientology more again, and then I'm sure I'll just do like a one part episode after that. Maybe, who knows, but Until then, my friends, stay skeptical, and I will see you all next week. Hey, friends. The Rabbit Hole is an independent podcast with everything you hear done by me, Danny Mercy. I appreciate all of your support. Please rate and review wherever you're listening. If you want to follow us on Instagram, it's at rabbit.holepodcast. And thank you, Zakar Balaha, for our awesome intro.